Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and we start today with the truck blockades that have paralyzed downtown Ottawa. It is day 19 of the blockades in the capital. Truck blockades have also snarled border crossings across Canada. Yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act for the first time ever in Canada. Here's what that sounded like yesterday. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. I want to be very clear. The scope of these measures will be time-limited, geographically targeted, as well as reasonable and proportionate to the threats they are meant to address. Okay, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking yesterday. The Emergencies Act invoked in Canada for the first time ever. Is this the right thing to do? Will this bring the blockades to an end? Or is it overreach? Is it a power grab? I've got a both sides of it on the show for you today. We start today with Wally Opal, former B.C. Supreme Court judge. He's the former Attorney General of British Columbia. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Wally, thank you for coming on today. Always good to be with you, Mike. All right, Wally, do you support what Trudeau is doing here? Absolutely. You know, Mike, governments don't bring in legislation in a vacuum. There's a real need for this. The occupiers have brought the uh, city of Ottawa to a standstill, closed international borders. The local police have been totally ineffective in Ottawa. Uh, and therefore, this is a situation that's urgent and critical. I mean, our international boundaries are closed. It affects uh, adversely our ability to trade with the Americans. You can't cross the border, and you cannot allow this anarchy to continue. I agree with what Bill Blair said uh, last week, and that the police need to do their job, and the police did not do their job in Ottawa for various reasons, and the federal government had to step in. The what? police... Sorry. Why, why does Trudeau need to do this at this time? Because when you take a look at the text of this act, it says that the situation must be urgent and critical, as you described. But it also says that it must exceed the capacity of authorities or a province to deal with it, that there's just no other way to solve this thing without this extraordinary power, without these extraordinary powers. Is that the case in Canada today? Like, how come they can't get this done without these measures being invoked? You know, all Canadians are asking that. That's a good question you've raised, Mike. The fact is, the Ottawa police have stood around and have done nothing. The uh, trucks are there in in the city. They were blowing their horns until an injunction uh, prohibited them from doing so. But the fact is that there's nothing being done in Ottawa to to clear the streets. The Ottawa police have the necessary power. For reasons only known to themselves, nothing was really done. I mean, they could have ticketed the trucks. They could have hauled the trucks out of there. But that's, that's why the... Um, the federal government stepped in. It's important to note that under our system, 
the police have to be independent, operationally independent. Politicians should not get involved in the internal workings of investigations of police. And I think the federal government waited a long time, and sooner or later, they had to step in. I think the situation here is critical, it's urgent, and as the Prime Minister said, this extraordinary power has to be time-limited, it has to be geographically confined, and it has to be done, exercised only with the consent of the provinces. So there are enough safeguards. There's always that... There's always that issue, there's always that concern that it might be overreach. But I don't think this what, is overreach in this case. What about the importance of due process under the law? I mean, you are a former lawyer, a judge, a former attorney general of this province. You know better than anyone the importance of people having their rights preserved when they're in front of a judge, they're in front of the law, they're in front of a court. The system that was announced yesterday where the government would be able to freeze the bank assets of people who are participating uh, in this in this protest, in this blockade, how is that consistent with, with the rights of people to have due process in front of a judge? Good, good question. Um, this legislation does not compromise the, the Charter of Rights and all of those freedoms that are enacted in the enshrined in that charter. So the right to uh, freedom of assembly, the right to protest, the right to march against government orders, those are still very much in force. And uh, so so I don't think we need to worry about that. And I think we I think what's going to happen here is that the provinces are in a position to hold the government to task and the we have to rely in these critical times on the government to ensure that the law is time confined, geographically confined, so that it doesn't run away by itself. I'm speaking to Wally Opal, BC's former Attorney General. We, we're looking at the reaction to the Emergencies Act as it's been invoked from across Canada. We see some provincial premiers like Doug Ford in Ontario, for example, saying, this is the right thing to do, bring it on, I support it, similar to what you're saying. But we see other provinces saying, we don't want this, please do not use this in our province. Jason Kennedy, ne- Jason Kenny, next door in Alberta, for example. What does that mean? Like, you mentioned that this must be done with the consent of the provinces. Does that mean that this act would not be enforced in Alberta if the Alberta well, Premier says we don't want it? Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. The province has to, or the federal government has to get the consent of the province. And if Jason Kenney is okay with the, uh, with the situation as it exists in Ottawa, then I am sure that the federal government is not go, going to impose its order on the, its power on the province. Having said that, there's an international border in uh, Alberta, and the federal government has jurisdiction over that. And in order to facilitate international trade at that border in Alberta, the province or the federal government would have the unfettered power to go in and keep that border uh, artery open. You have been in the middle of crises in the past during your time as, as a judge and an attorney general. We have a situation right now where this blockade in Ottawa is now in day 19. We've had weapons discovered at the blockade in, in, auto, in uh, Alberta. Uh, we had a truckload of weapons stolen in Ontario the other day, 2,000 guns. And the, some of the blockade leaders in Ottawa last night said they fear some of these weapons could be smuggled into Ottawa and planted there. Yeah, how, how serious that, is... That's a real fear. That's a real legitimate fear. And I have no doubt that those factors that you have 
elicited, uh, and, and you pointed out this morning, made reference to, I think those are factors that are relevant and compel the government to enact this legislation. Do you think this will be challenged in court? I think there's always that possibility. Uh, any law has an infringement on people's rights, so there could be someone who may challenge it. But if you talk to the people in Ottawa who have lived under this uh, these horrible situations for the last three weeks, I don't think you'll get too much support against anybody who challenges that legislation in Ottawa. Wally Opal, thank you for coming on today with your thoughts on it. Always good to be with you, Mike. Thank okay. you. Those people have gone from uh, protesting and disagreeing with those measures to limiting and blocking the freedoms of their fellow citizens, hurting jobs, hurting lives and livelihoods, endangering public safety. Because Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking yesterday as he invokes the Federal Emergencies Act for the first time. You heard my conversation there with former Attorney General Wally Opal. He supports what the government is doing here. Let's talk to another analyst now, Ari Goldkind. He's a criminal defense lawyer in Toronto. He's a political commentator and legal expert. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Ari, thanks for coming on today. Great to be on with you, Mike. What do you think about what Trudeau was doing here with the Emergencies Act? Well, those words were sanctimonious crap, if we want to really be honest about it. I mean, there's a mirror with his name on it. He should look in it and see that that's what he's done to Canada for two years. And he has thrown gas on this fire, Mike, by calling these people fringe and those people and unacceptable and lumping them all into the usual name-calling that he did rather than respecting them as fellow Canadians that perhaps he has a disagreement with. Now, the invoking of the Emergency Measures Act, I think, is a terrible move. I know people support it. I know anti-social media loves it. Uh, but I think it's an extraordinarily un-Canadian move. Yes, these people need to be moved. Yes, these blockades in Ontario need to be done away with. Yes, the honking of the horns in Ottawa needed to stop. But there are rules and laws on the books already. For this to be some kind of existential threat to Canadian safety, and security and a whole bunch of other issues in a democracy. I'm sorry, democracy is sometimes messy, it's sometimes ugly, but the idea that this is a national emergency is utterly ridiculous if the last two years weren't a national emergency where jobs and the economy was hurt and hardworking people put out of work. Those words that you just played in the intro to our segment are nothing other than sanctimony. Let's take a look at the Emergencies Act and what it actually says here, Ari, and and see if this meets the threshold uh, to invoke it here. So it says that this Emergencies Act can only be invoked if it's an urgent and critical situation. I think a lot of people could agree with that. It goes on to say that it must exceed the capacity or authority of a province to deal with it. So there's no other way to deal with this thing other than by bringing in these extraordinary powers. Are you buying that, or do you think like this could be dealt with without doing this? So it's almost like you've been hearing all of my conversations, which is, look, this is maybe, and, and I think Doug Ford, the Ontario Premier, is a clever politician. He's supporting this use of the Emergency Act because it takes the heat off of him. Ontario had the means, capability, manpower, laws on the books to deal with this. They know that they have a police service, Mike, and we got to go inside baseball on this one. People should know that police are not on the side of Trudeau on this. Now, it's not for police to pick and choose what they enforce. Nobody disputes that. 
But there are people on the inside of this protest of the convoy that have extraordinarily significant policing experience. So they've been one step ahead of the Ontario Provincial Police and the Ottawa Police. But that doesn't make it a national emergency. It makes it annoying. It makes it costly. It makes it problematic. But the idea that this is something of a national security issue to a Newfoundland person or a a Maritimer or somebody in Prince Edward Island or Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, that's ridiculous. There are injunctions and laws on the books. What about the fact that they've blockaded some key border crossings? Uh, Take a look at what happened on the Ambassador Bridge, which is effectively shut down for a week. How is that not seriously threatening the, the, the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Canada when the most important border crossing in the country was shut down and blockaded? Very, very good point. And here's the thing. It's no longer blockaded. It's not as a result of the invocation of the Emergencies Act. It's because people said one week is too long and we're now going to drop the hammer. I'm not saying, and nobody should mistake me saying, that borders should be blocked and supplies shouldn't no. get through. Quite frankly, when the truckers do that, Mike, They're actually doing what Trudeau did to Canadians for two years. That wasn't called an emergency where you couldn't travel, others couldn't travel, this, that, and the other. The truckers are hurting their own cause. That being said, look at the rules change. But this is something that could have been dealt with municipally and provincially. It is passing the buck, and there is no amount of power that our Prime Minister doesn't seem to enjoy. I'm speaking to legal analyst Ari Goldkind about the Emergencies Act invoked yesterday by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Ari, let me play another clip here for you from Trudeau yesterday. Some people are saying that this is overreach, this is a power grab by the government. Here is Trudeau making the case that it's the protesters who have gone too far. He has to do this. He says, look, the Emergencies Act will not overrun the fundamental rights and freedoms of Canadians. Have a listen to what he said here and I'll get your thoughts. We're not using the Emergencies Act to call in the military. We're not suspending fundamental rights or overriding the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We are not limiting people's freedom of speech. We are not limiting freedom of peaceful assembly. We are not preventing people from exercising their right to protest legally. Justin Trudeau speaking yesterday. Ari Goldkind, your thoughts on that? Well, I think what he said there, in fairness, is all accurate. If you look at the actual Emergencies Act, all those things are strict right to the teleprompter for him. That, nobody is disputing that. The question that is the broader question is when a protest is inconvenient, ugly, and other things, does it mean it's a national security emergency where, by the way, the Deputy Prime Minister directs that people be cancelled, defunded, that the banks do the bidding of the government? Why is there no broader conversation in Canada today amongst the leading journalists about the extraordinarily cozy relationship between the federal government directing the banks and corporations as if this is 9-11 or these are terrorists. That's an extraordinarily scary road to go down. I know people love it, but to me, I look in the long-term view, and this is not a good look for Canada. Uh, And to me, it gives the truckers more success than I think they even banked on, pun intended. Ari, yeah, 30 seconds here. What would you say to the residents of Ottawa, and I'm going to speak to one of them next, who are saying, bring it on. We, we want this blockade cleared so we can get our lives back here. What would you say to them? 30 seconds. I would say in 30 seconds, I agree with you. I can empathize with you and sympathize with you. That's a failing of your police service. This is why your police chief just resigned six minutes ago, Mike. I mean that yeah. literally. Six yeah. minutes ago, it's a failure of the provincial government. It doesn't make it a national security emergency. I'm sorry, although I do sympathize with okay. you living through that. 
All right, welcome back to the show. Let's keep talking about the crisis in the capital now. It is day 19 of the truck blockade in Ottawa. Trucks have blocked the downtown of the city, and it's frustrating for residents of the city, to say the least. I'm going to speak to one of them next. First, have a listen to this. This is the voices of some of the people who live in Ottawa and what they're dealing with here. Have a listen. You're not free to go anywhere you want in your city. I mean, it's I guess it's intimidating. Uh, it's upsetting. It's angering. All these people can- waving Canadian flags, um, acting like patriots when really it's kind of the most sad and um, embarrassing thing I've ever seen. I think the time of asking people politely to leave has probably come to an end. Sadly, I think the only way to get them to go is going to be forced. It's- Okay, the Emergencies Act has been invoked by the Prime Minister. Will that bring the truck blockade to an end? Let's go to Ottawa now and check in with Sam Hirsch. Sam is a member of the board at Horizon Ottawa, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Sam, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Hey, Sam, can you talk a little bit about what this has been like to live in Ottawa for the people who are living down there in the red zone or the blast zone, as they call it? What's that been like for the last 19 days? Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's been pretty crazy. And we actually got some uh, some really uh, big news this morning, uh, just a couple of minutes ago, an hour, about you know half an hour ago, our the chief of police just resigned. Yes, as well. So so it's um it's a, it's a pretty uh, tense uh, situation uh, and lots of stuff going on every single day. So it's hard to keep up. But um, <clears throat> as someone who who lives downtown, um, and know, knows people who lives downtown, I mean, I've been harassed more than once. Um, you know. Uh, verbally and threatened with physical violence for wearing a mask. Um, you know, folks have had who have pride flags uh, on their doors, uh, in their windows, have had rocks thrown in their windows. Uh, there was one instance where uh, a, a, a member of the of the convoy, um, you know, tried to uh, uh, you know, set a building on fire. They 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 put um, you know flammable stuff, lit it on fire, and and and, and locked the doors closed to a big apartment complex. Luckily, somebody saw that and stopped it. But, um, you know, these people are not, um, quote unquote, peaceful protesters, as, as people keep saying. This is a violent far right occupation of our city. And, um, you know, many of us are frustrated and, you know, taking matters into our own hands. Okay. Look, before we get into that, uh, I'm really interested in the counter protests that have been going on. What are your thoughts on uh, the police chief resigning this morning? Chief slowly has announced, as you mentioned, that. He's he's out of there. He has resigned as the Ottawa police chief. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, our organization has been a critic of his for a very long time. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, someone, you know, had to be held accountable. Folks have to be held accountable, I think, for, 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 for what's going on. And leaders have to be held accountable. Um, you know, I, I think the issue when it comes to policing is that it's not just uh, Chief Stoli who's the issue. It's the entire Ottawa police force to be held accountable and there needs to be a public inquiry. I know we're already having a public inquiry in Ottawa around the failures of our light rail transit system, but there needs to be a public inquiry into the auto police to find out what was going on because we saw the laws weren't being enforced. Uh, and we saw that, you know, they were treating this protest much differently than they would have, they, they were treating, they had treated other protests in the past. Um, and I would say they should be harder, but you know, there's clearly a double standard that exists and chief solely isn't the only one that needs to be held accountable. Um, you know, we need to call on our mayor, Jim Watson to resign 
um, the chair of the police services board, Diane Deans, needs to think about resigning as well. And the city manager, Steve Kanellakos. There's lots of people who need to be held uh, accountable in our city. I'm speaking to Sam Hirsch. He's a member of the board at Horizon Ottawa. It's a citizens group there in Ottawa. Sam, let's talk a little bit about some of the counter protests that have been organized in Ottawa uh, to show displeasure with the truck blockades. Tell me about that. What kind of counter protests have been happening there? Yeah, so last weekend, after, you know, having really been, uh, um, you, know, you know, really demoralized by, um, by, by, by this convoy, uh, residents really rose up. Um, you know, I was involved in organizing a, a big march and rally that took place on the Saturday, where there was close to reports said there were 4,000 of us who marched in the streets um, against, you know, the, the hatred and, and, and toxic messages that have been spewed by the leaders of this so-called movement. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose even more significantly on the Sunday, there was a sort of grassroots um, spontaneous movement of people that took place, a blockade of a convoy that came through um, uh, on, a, on a, down, like a street close to downtown on uh, Bank and the intersections of Bank and Riverside in Ottawa. There was a convoy of 30 trucks and it started with about, you know, between 30 and 50 residents blocking them. And then it grew throughout the day to, uh, I think, you know, over a thousand people being there blocking, keeping those trucks in. And eventually um, it was a very tense situation. And some of us were there trying to keep the crowd under control and deescalate things, but we were able to get the trucks to turn around, agree to never come back to Ottawa and not, not go downtown and also take off a lot of the hateful insignia that was, um, was on their on their on their trucks and they turned around and went home let me ask you about the prime minister's move yesterday to invoke the federal emergencies act he says that these are extraordinary powers that will be used in in limited fashion to bring this to an end do you have any confidence or reasonable hope that this could be over soon you know, it's hard to say, um, you know, there's been such a failure at every level of government to, you know, they, they, they basically abandoned our entire downtown core. Um, people are really demoralized. Uh, and, you know, a lot of us think the only way that this can be solved is, you know, through the power of residents and community building. And that's really what has been the force that's been pushing for a lot of these things. I, I you know, don't necessarily support bringing any military in or anything mm-hmm. at all. I, you know, I'm not a supporter of Justin Trudeau or Christopher Freeland, but I do think that, the move to freeze the accounts of um, a lot of the convoy members, um, the company account is, is, is a good move. I think that will hopefully dry out their resources. And I think that's a good way to, to go about it. But, you know, personally, I'm not necessarily in favor of expansive police powers, but, you know, yeah. I, I think, I think in, in this context, you know, um, you know, we need to explore everything we can to do you, try do and you, get these people out of here. Yeah. Do you, do you fear that, this is inevitably leading to some sort of violent confrontation or, or that people might have to be moved by force. And the reason I, I wonder that mm. is we constantly hear continually from the leaders of the, the truck blockades, not only in Ottawa, but elsewhere in the country that, you know, their line right now is hold the line. They're not going to leave. They're digging in. Let me play a clip here for you, Sam, get your thoughts. Now, this was yesterday, one of the leaders of the truck blockade at the border crossing in Alberta, encouraging people to keep showing up, hold the line, don't back down. Have a listen to this and I'll get your thoughts. I have to ask all across the country, get to your borders, get to your cities, come to Ottawa and support all Canadians 
Okay, get to your cities, get to your borders, come to Ottawa, encouraging more people to come to your neighborhood there to continue in the blockade. How does that make you feel when you hear that? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest, it's it's just, it's scary. It really is because, I, you know, I think in a lot of instances, and while we were blockading um, the, the intersection of the Bank and Riverside, those 30 trucks over the weekend on Sunday, um, you know, one of the leaders, Pat King, said that they were going to come and called everybody on Wellington to come and, and, you know, incite violence and force us to leave. But only 10 of them came. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't take these threats ser- seriously. Um, you know, but a lot of the times, um, you know, there is some conjecture going on, I think, but, you know, it, it's scary and we don't want things to get violent. Um, cause we're, you know, we're peaceful. Our movement of, of folks are peaceful. Um, and, and, you know, we, we want to avoid that as much as possible. Um, you know, and, and, you know, like we saw in, in Coots, uh, Alberta, there was a, a truck season, 2000 firearms. We, you know, people this morning in, in Ottawa said that they don't know if, um, well, there what? Well, what happened with firearms. with the with the? There was a, a truck that was mm-hmm. stolen with t- a, right. apparently containing two thousand firearms in Peterborough, in Peterborough. Ontario. In Peterborough, yeah, in Peterborough. And, sorry. And the the leaders of the Ottawa blockade put out a video last night saying that they fear that some of these guns might be smuggled into Ottawa and planted to mm-hmm. make it look like the truckers have got arms or they've got firearms when they really. When they really don't. I, I, I mean, are you buying that? I mean, there's no, there was I, also. I, go ahead. I mean, I know from uh, people who have told me from eyewitness accounts, um, at least a week and a half, two weeks ago, when they first came here, that they saw weapons with their own eyes. So it's it's a lie to say that they didn't know that there were firearms. Um, you know, I I think that they they do have firearms. I think I don't know how many there are, and I don't know how, how big of a threat there is. But even without firearms, though, right there, these are dangerous people. Like I said, they tried to burn down an apartment complex. Um, on that and, and on that arrested. matter, on the matter of the the apartment complex, I mean, some people have said, okay, this is another one false flag operation that the the person who was on this video that looked like they're trying to start a fire wasn't with the truck blockade. There's a lot of fake allegations being leveled against the truck blockaders that they're peaceful people with bouncy castles and hot tubs and just grilling up hot dogs. I mean, how do you respond? How do you respond to that? I think, I think the important thing to point out about, about this whole situation is that, you know, again, like, you know, not every single person there is a, is there for bad intentions. I think some people are there for good intentions. I think the leaders of this movement are you know, they're, they're members of, of far right, you know, racist homophobic groups that have racist and homophobic elements. Um, I'm not saying that everyone there is, but the leaders certainly are. And a lot of the leaders of this movement are inciting violence. And, and if I was somebody, and I mean, I, you know, who, if you were somebody who wants to go to that, you should think about what these leaders are saying. And you should think about what you want to associate yourselves with. Uh, you know, if it were me, I would never want to go to a rally where there people have Nazi flags present. If I'm in a, if I'm organizing a rally or I've been in a rally where there's people with hateful insignia there, we ask them to leave. You know? So so um, you know, folks who with want to think about going there should should really think about what this okay. what this movement actually represents, and it's not only about vaccine mandates. And every, everyone knows that. Sam, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks very much. For- this episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. 
Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the tensions between Russia and Ukraine. And now U.S. President Joe Biden expected to provide a status update here shortly on the White House's perspective on the situation. Russia has amassed more than 130,000 troops near the Ukraine border in recent weeks. That's according to American estimates. That's raising fears of an imminent invasion. Russia, however, announcing yesterday some of their troops would return to their bases after completing drills, but they also stress that major military exercises will continue so the world watching this one for sure yesterday prime minister justin trudeau confirming canada will send 7.8 million dollars worth of military equipment and ammunition to ukraine as russia continues to escalate tensions according to prime minister justin trudeau speaking this week we got a great panel standing by to talk about this first have a listen now to this report from abc news This morning, that dramatic announcement from the Kremlin. Some Russian forces are pulling back from Ukraine's border, heading back to their bases. Russian media today showing tanks loading up on transports. This after Vladimir Putin, in a carefully choreographed appearance with his foreign minister, said diplomatic efforts to resolve the crisis should continue. But with as many as 150,000 Russian ground forces still near the Ukrainian border, tensions here remain high. The Russian military continues conducting massive drills across the border surrounding Ukraine. Including these aerial drills conducted over Belarus, just north of Ukraine. The Pentagon warning that over the last several days, Putin has actually added to his military capabilities along the border. He continues to advance um, his readiness should he choose to... um, to go down a military uh, path here. Should he choose to invade again, he is doing all the things you would expect him to do to make sure he's ready for that option. Citing the Russian threat here, the U.S. has closed its embassy in Kiev and removed remaining personnel to the western Ukrainian city of Lviv, staff destroying classified material and equipment. Today, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin travels to the region to meet with his NATO counterparts and reaffirm U.S. support, while Russia accuses the U.S. of hysteria. Okay, that report there from ABC News. So tensions still high in the region. Has Putin stepped back from the brink here, though? Let's discuss now. What a great uh, panel we've got for you, both sides of it. Yaroslav Baran, I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show, past president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. Yaroslav, thanks for coming on again. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it a lot. Eve Engler also on the line. Eve is a peace activist with the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. Hi, Eve. How's it going? It's going good. Thank you, gentlemen, for both of you for being here once again to discuss this. Yaroslav, let me go to you first. What do you think about the, the current status of the situation here, especially with Putin uh, announcing uh, some Russian troops kind of returning to their bases here and pulling back from the border? Does that give you some any confidence that the invasion, if if any, if an invasion was planned at any point, has been has been called off, or what do you think's happening? Well, you know, it's always important to consider the source, and uh, I, w- I would stress that it was the Kremlin that announced some, you know, alleged troops pulling back. Uh, the Kremlin, um, NATO satellites have not seen an- any evidence of this being the case. We know that. The this is not a Russia thing. This is a Kremlin thing. This is the, you know, the fascist government running Russia right now. We know that they are expert at information warfare. 
and central to information warfare is disinformation campaigns. So the fact that they announced troop withdrawals that nobody else has been able to verify, including NATO satellite imaging, doesn't give me any comfort whatsoever. Add on top of that, that following yesterday's announcement by the prime minister that a, albeit tiny, um, a modest amount, $7.8 million worth of of, of lethal uh, assistance is being provided to the to the Ukrainians. The Russian ambassador to Canada uh, started to st- stamp his feet and call this utterly, utterly irresponsible and indefensible. Well, if you have no uh, aggressive designs, then mm-hmm. w- what are you concerned about? Like, <laughs> this is a bilateral issue between Canada and Ukraine, unless you do, in fact, have some kind of a belligerent plan so I, you've got to take everything they say with more than a grain of salt. Okay, let me uh, get Eve's response on that. And Eve, especially on the announcement by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau this week, Canada sending $7.8 million worth of military equipment and ammunition to Ukraine. They're also sending Ukraine alone $500 million. Uh, they announced $120 million earlier. And Trudeau saying that we're standing with our ally Ukraine. Your thoughts? Well, yeah. First of all, I think the, the American government's never lied. They haven't. They didn't lie about invading Iraq. They didn't lie about uh, Libya in 2011. They didn't lie about Afghanistan. The U.S. government is the most credible source of information, uh, according to my uh, my uh, counterpart here. Um, but the Canadian government is basically going along with a, a very dangerous game uh, in in the Ukraine, uh, fueling the donating weapons to the Ukrainian military that, of course, is in a conflict right now with its own citizens in the eastern east of the country. Simultaneously, the Canadian government actually withdrew, alongside the U.S. and Britain, withdrew their monitors of the Organization Security Cooperation Agreement monitors in eastern Ukraine. And now, if you thought a, if you thought a Russian invasion was imminent, I would think you would want to have more eyes on the ground. Now, conversely, if you thought that the Ukrainian military was about to launch an uh, attack against the uh, Donbass region, the, the breakaway republics, um, I think it would probably serve it well to not have monitors on the ground. So you have the Canadian government providing more weapons to the Ukrainian military, removing monitors that are overseeing the, the sort of partial ceasefire, um, and basically the, you know, enticing the Ukrainian military to ramp up its attacks. Now, the danger here is not just the violence in the, in the short term in the Ukraine and east of Ukraine, but the fact that you have two nuclear armed forces. This could spiral, the, the conflict in eastern Ukraine could spiral into a war between this NATO $1.1 trillion NATO military budget and the $61 billion nuclear armed Russian. So you have nuclear arms on both sides, and that's very dangerous for humanity's sake. Let, so, let me go. To, so, yeah, okay, Yaroslav. How do you respond to that? Oh, geez, I don't know where to begin. Okay, first of all, our friend Eve uh, very deliberately put words in my mouth that I didn't say. He talked about Iraq, about U.S. foreign policy, about stuff that I did not even touch on. I'm trying to have an actual grown-up conversation here about a very important issue, and I don't appreciate this straw man technique of putting words in my mouth about unrelated stuff and then telling me that I'm wrong. So for starters... I'm, I'm actually trying to have a legitimate conversation out of respect for, for you and for Eve. So it's that, let me just lay down a marker saying it's not cool. Secondly, um, I'll, I'll note that the idea of $7.8 million of bullets and snipe, sniper rifles 
quote unquote enticing the Ukrainians to attack Russia. I, I, it's difficult to imagine a not, not to attack Russia, to attack we're, the we're east talking, of the country. We're we're talking, you know, we're talking about a military superpower that's nuclear armed to the teeth. Uh, I mean, let's let's not forget in 1939, theoretically, according to the Germans. Poland invaded Germany. There was a false flag attack, and a couple people on horseback charged, <laughs> drew some sabers and charged across the border. And in response, tanks and aircraft rolled in. So uh, let's let's have some perspective about what's going on here. This is a medium power of 40 million people facing a nuclear armed to the teeth fascist regime, and the idea of of there being some kind of Ukrainian provocation is like. It's, it's laughable. Okay, Eve, Eve Engler, go ahead. I think there's a denial here that there is a civil war, eight-year-old civil war within the Ukraine. The problem we have here in Canada, we hear one perspective from the Ukrainian community perspective. It's a very nationalistic and, quite frankly, right-wing perspective. The Ukraine is a divided country. Linguistically, about 30% of the country, their mother tongue is Russian. In 2014, the U.S. and Canada helped overthrow a, a, a president that was viewed as, as not hostile to Russia, that was backed primarily by people in the east of the Ukraine. That led to a civil war in the Ukraine where a, a part of the country broke away, hostile to the government in Kyiv, and, and, and that, that's a reality. There's a denial of that taking place, and what Canada starts arming the military that is currently in a conflict with members of its own country in the east of the country, in the east of the Ukraine, and when the Canadian government withdraws its monitors who are overseeing, uh, trying to have a ceasefire there, alongside the U.S. putting more troops into all around Eastern Europe, alongside Canada having troops in Latvia, yes, you have the potential to, to turn what is a, a localized conflict into something that is a literally a war between NATO with its one point one trillion dollar military budget and Russia with its sixty one okay. billion dollar military budget. That's dangerous. Okay, let me let me get Yaroslav's sure. response on that briefly, Yaroslav, sure. and then we'll fit a break yeah, yeah. in here. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. First of all, we don't call it the Ukraine. We call it Ukraine. The only people who use the terminology the Ukraine are Soviets who deny Ukrainian nationhood. Secondly, it's not a civil war in, in the east of, of the country. It's a Russian army-backed uh, artificial insurrection. There are more Russian tanks in the Donbass than there are in the rest of Europe put together. France plus Germany plus 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 the United Kingdom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is all Russian kit. This is not stuff that a bunch of like local uh, civil insurrectionists bought at Walmart. This is this is heavy Russian artillery. This is make no mistake. This is a Russian army backed artificial insurrection that's being okay. called a civil war for propaganda purposes. Okay. All right, welcome back. Talking about tensions in Russia, Ukraine, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden set to address the situation here coming up shortly. Uh, Canada sending military aid to Ukraine this week. My guests are Yaroslav Baran, past president, Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Eve Engler. He's a peace activist with the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. Hey, Yaroslav, just before I go to a, a couple of calls here, what do you think... Um, Putin is up to here. What does he want? What is his end game in your mind? Oh, his his end game is to have a, a failed state in Ukraine. I think he realizes that if he invades Ukraine full on with a massive war, 
he can, he can overtake it, but holding it would be a disaster. It would it would be even worse than than Russia's experience in Afghanistan. So what he wants is a failed state, and so we're dealing with a country roughly the size of France, uh, bigger in territory, almost in big in, as big in population, and he wants it to be a failed state as as a buffer. So basically, he's using a sovereign country as a pinata for his own you know uh, geopolitical games. Okay, let's squeeze a couple of calls in here. We got Simon on the line in North Vancouver. Hi, Simon. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Um, so I was going to say we should stay out of the Ukraine. The bottom line is annexing you know, the Ukraine into NATO is provocative, right? And if you look at the natural gas exports, right? If we control Ukraine, then we can basically um, you know get Russia in a position where we can manipulate them. So the flow of natural gas through the Ukraine is really important in order to control Russia, and I think that's what NATO is trying to seek. Right. Because don't forget, it's not just Germany who benefits from the natural gas. Russia benefits from the export. And if Russia is not able to defend the ruble, who's going to? Okay, let me get Eve's thoughts on that. Eve Engler, go ahead. I I, I think that's a very important point, right? Part of what was going on, part of the motivation, we talk about what is what is uh, Russia's motivation? What is what is the Putin's motivation? But really what's going on here, there's, there's just Russian troops in Russia. Let's remember that. There's no Russian troops outside of Russia here. But what's really going on here is that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that's taking natural gas from Russia to Germany, all it needs is a certification. And the Americans have been trying to sabotage that pipeline uh, uh, for years now. And part of what they're doing is there's a new government in Germany. They're ramping up pressure on Germany to, to not okay the pipeline. This is a $10 billion pipeline that is wanted by much of the business sector within within Germany. The German government is a bit divided over the matter for ecological reasons as well as for geopolitical reasons. And the Americans are basically trying to break up what is fairly sensible uh, uh, economic relations within Europe. They don't want Russia and Germany to deepen their economic ties or for that matter, security ties. And part of what Canada is doing here is Canada is supporting, Trudeau is supporting this American effort to basically sabotage uh, economic and security, sensible economic and security relationships uh, on the European okay. continent. Okay, Yaroslav, do you want to respond to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of baffled to hear this kind of assessment. Like, Russia is using natural gas as a tool of geopolitical imperialism. They've turned off the natural gas taps in the middle of winter to Ukraine many times over the last 10 years. They do this. You know, they realize that natural gas is a weapon. They want to make others dependent on it so that they that then have leverage. Um, the, the, the idea of, you know, talking about other countries, who wants to control Ukraine, who's trying to control... How about we let the people of Ukraine decide their own future, decide where they want, <laughs> decide the limits of their own sovereignty, decide the treaties that they want to enter into and secure okay. their own, you know, their own independence. Can I, can I just point out one really important point? And we just got one, we have one minute, one minute yeah. left. I'll give you 30 seconds each. Okay, go ahead. You're sure. Yeah, sure. In All 1994, right. um, four countries signed something called the Budapest Memorandum. It, when Ukraine became independent, it inherited the third largest nuclear arsenal in the world. It gave it up voluntarily through the Budapest Memorandum, which guaranteed Ukraine's security by Russia, the United States, and the United Kingdom. Now, Russia has already sent troops in. They've already taken over Crimea. They've already taken over eastern Ukraine. But if, if this okay. is allowed to stand, this imperils all future disarmament and all future nuclear nonproliferation. 30- 
everywhere in the Eve, world. Eve, 30 seconds. Go in, ahead. In, in, in 2014, there was an elected president in the Ukraine. The Canadian-U.S. governments helped overthrow that government. Right now, we're complaining about American funding of protest movements in Ottawa. The Canadian press reported that the Canadian embassy in Kiev was used was they, they, for a week. Okay. They were stationed at the Canadian embassy for right activists who helped overthrow that government. 